everybody and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass on YouTube. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And Alex, it's been a while since we've done a show following a loss. It feels a little bit weird. It feels... Uh, it's stinky you know we we definitely don't want to be talking about a losing effort but the place that I I want to start here and and we're going to get into this panic meter and I understand people hear the word panic and they're like what do you mean panic they're nine and five let's relax with the whole panic thing right and I I totally agree so don't overreact to the the word panic we're just going to talk about some of the issues the Patriots had and how much of those we feel are compounding issues repeat issues or things that were just kind of a one-off but the one thing I want to hit on here is something that I think at this point, when you come off a loss like that, from a team perspective, the people in the building, the only thing you can do is use it, right, as fuel. It happened. They lost the game. There's nothing you can do about it. So instead of going into the, you know, and feeling sorry for yourselves, use it as fuel to recognize, wow, uh, we maybe weren't as good as we thought, or maybe we were getting a little ahead of ourselves and reading the press clippings, I think is a better way of putting it and use this win our loss to remind yourselves that you are mortal. You, you are not free of, of losing a football game at any point in time. Yeah. You know, I, whatever they weren't going to win, whatever it would have been 13, 14 straight. I mean, to have so many new pieces and especially with a rookie quarterback to roll off that many consecutive wins is so unprecedented. So it was coming. All things considered, it's not a horrible game to lose. I mean, look at the standings, right? They started the day in second place in the AFC. They finished the day in second place in the AFC. You rather have a get-right game before Buffalo than than have Buffalo be the get-right game. So it's not to excuse it. You know, Bill, and I know he apologized for everything he said after the game, but I honestly don't think he needed to. He was right. Everything he said was right. They didn't play well enough. They didn't coach well enough. He knows it. We knew it. Everybody knew it. So I, you know, I think that this game will serve as an excellent wake up call for the Patriots, right? There were, there have been people comparing this team to the boogeyman team in 2019 and saying, once one thing goes wrong, the wheels are going to fall off the wagon. I don't see this team being like that, but we're going to find out now because that game was basically the equivalent of, I think it was week nine, whatever it was that year against Baltimore, right? Where they went in undefeated they got the doors blown off and they never truly recovered from that i think this game it has the potential to be that but i think this game is this team is more tested and has more buy-in than that 2019 team had so yeah yeah i mean the the famous brady quote of i'm the most miserable nine and one quarterback in the nfl or whatever the record was at that time and that's really the the separation here is is this team that closer to the 1920 Patriots than the dynasty Patriots. Right. And and we're way ahead of ourselves to put them in the dynasty category, obviously, but are they the next generation? Are they turning the page and are they getting that stench of those two seasons in particular off of them and and starting to turn a corner here? We'll find out now that they've hit some adversity because they weren't going to coast all the way to the Super Bowl. As fun as it was to think about and talk about and imagine and uh, kind of dream about as a Patriots fan, they were not going to win 12, 13, 14 games in a row and win a Super Bowl, right? It just wasn't going to happen. At some point in time, 
they were going to hit some adversity. So luckily uh, they got it, as you said, in an out of division game and it wasn't in the postseason. It's not like they're going right. home, right? They still have three more games plus, plus, plus. So we'll see how they bounce back from it, but let's get into some of the, the panic meters. I, I, I should have used a different word. I'm already annoyed with myself for that word, but yeah, that's your fault. We're supposed to be above that. This is not the hot take show. Yeah. Right. Uh, the concern level, let, let, let's put it to you that way. That's a little bit nicer way of saying it. The concern level, was some of the things that we saw on Saturday night. And we're going to get into the offense here in a second. But the one thing that stood out to me uh, above all else in a way is that the Patriots, especially coming off of that Buffalo game, it really putting these two games side by side is really a fun exercise because coming off that Buffalo game, the Patriots were the bullies, right? They were the right. bully ball offense. They were the guy, the ones that were going to come in and smack you in the mouth and all that kind of stuff. And it felt like they got out bully balled by Indianapolis. The Colts had basically a reverse of the Patriots game plan against the, uh, against the bills, not quite as pronounced. They threw the ball more than three times, but it was a dominant run game. And I'll go back to something that you say all the time, which is, if you run the football, you only have to gain 3.9 yards per carry every 3. single 4. time. 3.4, excuse me. You do the math, right? 3.4 yards per carry every single time you hand the ball off. So although the Patriots held Jonathan Taylor pretty much in check until the big 67-yarder at the end, he was still gaining more than 3.4 yards per carry every single time he touched the ball. Outside of the big run, he, he actually gained 3.7 yards per carry. So the big thing or the big issue that the run defense had was the lack of negative plays, right? The lack of stops right. the line of scrimmage or penetration and tackles for loss to force them into throwing the football so even though the numbers don't look terrible when you take out the big run when you talk about not getting any sort of negative uh, production out of the running game that allows you to continue to just run the football even though you might not be gaining 20 yards per pop you're still gaining enough to stay ahead of the chains yeah, I'm going to be referencing this game for a long time to come because I think it proved an excellent point that people think of a dominant running game as, you know, are you breaking off big runs? How many 20-plus yard carries do you have in a game? What's your home run ability? And certainly the Colts had that, but up until that point, and they still very easily could have won the game without that 67-yard run. A dominant running game to me is you don't lose yards. Right. Do you at least get three yards on every carry? Like, I think if you run the ball for four yards on every single carry and that's it, that to me is a dominant running game. It really is because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're forcing your will. I think you, you hit it on the head. A lot of what the outcome of this game had to do with the Patriots have prided themselves all year, very openly. Yeah. And we're going to be more physical than the other team. We're going to be tougher than the other team. We're going to come out. We're going to take the fight to them. Right. We're going to throw the first punch. We're always going to punch back. Like, We've, we've heard them talk about it at press conferences. We've seen David Andrews' pregame speeches have kind of followed along that sort of theme. And they weren't the bully. They were the ones getting bullied on Saturday. And that was a big difference. The Colts were winning at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, but specifically on the offensive side of the ball, just throwing that Patriots defensive line back. That's been a huge calling card for the Patriots this year, is they have won the line of scrimmage in just about every game they've played. They've certainly won it in every game they've won. And they did not win the line of scrimmage on Saturday night. 
No, they didn't win it on either side. As you said, pressure rate above 30%. Obviously, that's going to happen when you throw the football as often as they did. But that was also speaking to the fact that they couldn't get anything going in the run game. And you talk all season long about the wide receivers blocking so well. In this game, the wide receivers blew a couple of different assignments in key run situations to lead to negative or zero type of yard gains on the ground for the Patriots. So they couldn't run the football. They didn't protect Mac Jones particularly well at times. And then they really couldn't get any negative play for Indianapolis's run game. So although Jonathan Taylor, up until that point, up until that 67-yard run, his longest run of the game was 12 yards, which is not terrible, right? And he didn't have a ton of explosive runs. Uh, He had, uh, looking at it now, the only run of of over 15 yards he had in the game was the 67-yarder. That was the only one. So he really didn't have any huge runs outside of the big one, but at the same time, so like for what I'm getting at is when the Patriots played Buffalo, they had 10 runs of 15 or more yards in that game against the bills. It wasn't just Damian Harris's home run, right? They had a bunch of different other explosive runs in that game against Buffalo. This was not quite as bad as that, but they still couldn't get them to throw the football. They couldn't get the ball into Carson Wentz's hands. And that was something that was really a detriment to the way that they played and the defense that they played. The last thing I want to say about the run defense until we, we put it up on the, on the, how concerned are you meter? And the last thing I want to say is early on in this game, they came out in big nickel. Uh, they played a lot of two high shells on first and second down. This was not a, we're going to put base defense out there. We're going to put eight guys in the box and we're going to sell out to stop the run. That, that was not the game plan. They definitely felt the Colts were too balanced to come out and play a true big package personnel-wise defense and, and post-safety, eight guys, uh, four linebackers, the whole nine yards. So they at least respected Carson Wentz in the passing game enough uh, to play some too high. So it felt to me like the game plan coming into the game until it got to 14, nothing when they had to adjust because they knew Indianapolis wasn't going to throw the ball much until it got to that point. It felt like going into the game that they were willing to concede a little bit on the ground. And maybe that Tennessee blueprint was what they were going after. So I I think that that's something that, that we should talk about as well, that this was not a let's load up and stop the run and commit all of our resources to stopping Jonathan Taylor type of game plan, at least early on until it got out of hand a little bit. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I think they wanted the ball, though, ultimately. I, I, I don't know about that because they were down so quick. I think they wanted the ball in Wentz's hands. Yeah, I think they were fine going all out to stop the run. I don't think we'll really know what the true game plan was just because they got into such a deficit so early. I mean, Bill kind of made it sound like that. Like they couldn't do ultimately all the things they wanted to do because of that early deficit. Yeah. Okay. So panic meter time. How concerned are you uh, with the bully ball mentality the bully ball characters what do you want to call it you know the bully ball uh mantra you know that the patriots have that indianapolis took it to them in this game how concerned that is zero like none that's the one thing i'm certainly not concerned about because it's not that they're not talented enough it's not that they can't coach it right it's it's i mean it's a mentality thing it you know maybe it's easier said than done but it's it's flipping a switch that's yeah. all it is. It's just wanting to beat the, like, to put it bluntly, you either want to beat the crap out of the person on the other side of you or you don't. Right. And it's not like the Colts were more physical than the Patriots and both teams were physical. One team was physical, the other wasn't. 
Mike Reese made a really good point on Twitter yesterday morning. He tweeted the play. There was one play where Mac Jones got hit after the whistle, right? It was that blatant offsides, whoever it was, 90 for the Colts, comes flying across the line, grabs Mac by the ankle. And he compared that to the reaction when Mac got hit late against the Chargers. Yeah. And remember in the Chargers game, David Andrews li- nearly started a fight. Yeah. Nothing happened in that Colts game. And I, I, if Mike Reese is seeing that, I'm well, sure the coaching staff is seeing it, and I'm sure that they will make that comparison to the team as well. You got that. You got the Bills, who have been basically talking trash since that loss. Yeah. Uh, the division on the line. I'm not worried at all about the Patriots getting up for this game against Buffalo. Frankly, if they can't get up for this game, they don't deserve to win the division. They might not deserve to make the playoffs. Like I have no worries at all that David Andrews, Devin McCourty, Matthew Slater, they're going to have these guys ready to go through a brick wall on Sunday. I'm, I'm very confident in that. Yeah. So the last thing, uh, you know, I agree with you that the panic meter is pretty low. I, for all the reasons that you said, the one thing I'll add on top of it is that what other team can do that besides maybe Indianapolis and I'll give Tennessee the nod, right? I I think that that a healthy Titans team could come in and, and smash mouth, right? What they did in 2019. We've seen them do it. But other than those two teams in the AFC, Buffalo is not going to come in here and play that style. Nope. Kansas City is not going to come in here and play that style. Nope. I think Baltimore has too many flaws up and down their roster yeah. to really be able to do it. At and this, they're pretty point banged up right now too. Yeah, uh, Chargers aren't going to play that way. The Bengals aren't going to play that way. It's Indy and it's Tennessee. If you draw those two teams, it's a tough matchup because it's strength on strength, and it's us against you know our guys against your guys and that type of of a uh, game. But other than that, I feel like they can still punch pretty much everybody else in the mouth in the AFC. So that's the other thing I'll just say there is that this was in particular was the one matchup besides maybe the Titans where you could get out muscled, you could get out bully balled, you could get uh, you could get it brought to you a little bit, but not not necessarily any of these other teams in the conference. Yeah, I I, I mean I think you put it perfectly. I just the Patriots that's been one of the hallmarks during this winning streak because they're just beating the crap out of everybody. They certainly didn't do it on Saturday night, but I, I, you know, if they had played a super physical game and lost like that, I'd be really worried. But I, I think it's just a matter of, you know, we all know they can play better than that. We've seen them yeah. play better than that against better teams. It was just a, it was just a lapse. It was just a lapse in aggression or whatever you want to call it. And I think it is as simple. It's not perfectly simple, but it's as simple as just get mad, get angry, get pissed yeah. off. Whatever you need to do, like take it out on the Buffalo Bills. That's what the Colts were pissed off. The Colts were pissed off about, and most of them haven't been on the team this long. I don't think any of them have been on the team this long. Colts are pissed off about having not beat the Patriots since whatever it is, 2009. They were jacked up. That stadium being there, I told you before the game, I texted you that the stadium had a real ring to it. It had a real playoff atmosphere. Uh, There was a lot of energy, a lot of buildup, you could tell, going into that game. And I was concerned uh, about the game in general once I got there and sort of felt the atmosphere. But in particular, I I figured the Patriots are going to get down into a hole. Right, just because I thought the Colts were going to come out with a ton of energy in the first quarter, I didn't expect them to get a, a punt blocked, and, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But before we do, we got to talk about the offense and Mac Jones and where we're at with Mac right now. I just posted my film review after the game, and 
I think a lot of people will hear this and say, Evan, don't put lipstick on a pig, right? He, he, he turned the ball over twice. He gets called for a delay a game. That penalty was bad. They fail a fourth down that probably had a better play to be made there than the one that ended up him. He ended up making, but at the same time, there were, I counted 11 of them in, in my film review, a great quarterback, Plays, right whether it was reads whether it was coverage manipulation whether it was downfield throws uh, understanding the concepts and, and conceptually what Josh McDaniels was calling and why just really good quarterback play I thought in particular you look at the deep ball to Nikhil Harry, how they sequenced that together. I posted that on Twitter, how they had two plays prior of the same concept. They come back to it a third time. The Colts jumped the front side of the play, and he knows the backside post is going to be one-on-one, and he takes a shot down the field. The third down throw to Brandon Bolden went behind the line of scrimmage, but it was the perfect answer to the all-out pressure right he knew exactly where to go with the football and when the two touchdowns to hunter henry the climb in the pocket the little look off and throw to henry for the touchdown a great play there as well so there was a lot of really good quarterbacking from mac jones in this game but i come back the first interception doesn't bother me as much because darius leonard made a great play it was one that he'll learn from and something that uh he, he just he thought he looked him off and he didn't. And, and there's really not much else to say about it. Right. It, yeah. it was really quite straightforward. The second interception really irked me and is something that the reason being that it irked me so much. And I guess we could pull it up quickly and I can explain it in further detail if we want to. But the main reason why is it's a mistake on two levels, both pre-snap and after the snap, that at week 15, 14 starts into his NFL career, uh, the Patriots cannot afford Mac Jones to make these errors anymore, right? You just, right. you can't have the misread in the middle of the field and then the lazy throw into the flat that probably would have been a pick six. The ball was a little bit more catchable for the defender. You can't have that anymore in week 15 start 14 it's no lot the excuses of him being a rookie quarterback for a play like that go out the window for me yeah and bill likes to say there's no rookies at this time of year so yeah. the first one though i mean Darius Leonard, it's just a really smart play i mean there's right. i know it looked easy i know it looks like mac threw it right to him it's what leonard does before the throw that's what makes that such a good play right I don't know how many college linebackers there are that make that read and get themselves in that spot the way Leonard did. Right that might just be something, right. That might just be something Mac has never seen before. The second one, like you said, I actually thought if he throws that ball earlier, he has Bolden. It was Bolden, right? was the intended yes. target. He has Bolden for the first down if he makes that throw right away. But it looked like he looked to Bolden, looked down the field to see if he had anything else thinking he still had Bolden. And when he came back to Bolden and threw it, realizing he didn't want to make the throw downfield, the situation had changed. That, I mean, based off the TV copy is how I saw it. Um, I'm going to pull it up because it it, it really bugs me for multiple reasons, okay? So uh, we can break it down here. The first thing is I want to start from the end zone angle because the other thing that really frustrated me about this play pre-snap, look at this box. It's third and one. Why are we throwing the ball? Right. I mean, all you got to do is check to a run here and run it right into the front side a gap, the play side a gap right there between the right guard and the center, who, by the way, just happened to be two of your best run blockers on the team anyways. And it's wide the heck open. So at this point in the season, and I, I plan on asking Josh McDaniels this tomorrow, I hope he gives me a straight answer. Does Mac have the control to change this play on the fly? Right. And, and earlier on in the, in the game, I, I should note, that 
he tried to put change a play. He tried to audible and he got called for a delay game because he didn't get it done fast enough. Right. So maybe there was some training wheels put back on after that point. But when you get this box on third and one, how you throw this ball is beyond me. Yeah. And the only answer and the only response I had, because it, it's, it's as clear as day. I don't think that Mac Jones doesn't have the brains or the intelligence to check this into a run. No possible way, right? I mean, he, he clearly makes so many high-level reads and decisions between the ears that there's no possible way that he is lost on this type of play, right? So the question is, is does he just not have the control? Is that the problem here? And if that's the problem here, then forget that because we're well beyond it, right? We're, we're 14 starts into the season uh, for Mac Jones. At this point in time, he needs this control because this play cost them three points and very well might have cost them the game because that was the difference in the end, right? Instead of it being 17-17, it's 20-17. to It's a huge play in the game. So the fact that they can't give him the control at the, or the reins of the line of scrimmage to get this into a better play is really irks me a lot. All right, I'll clearly, because I'm going off about it. The right. second thing that I, I want to do here on the overhead, so the Patriots are going to run a, a mesh crosser, a mesh concept, right? So they're going to have Hunter Henry. He's going to run the crossing route from this direction. Jacoby Myers is going to run the crossing route from that direction, and they're going to create a, a, an intersect in the middle of the field. What the Colts are going to do on the play is they're going to run a one-cross scheme. One cross means they're going to rotate – this safety into the box and they're going to cut off one of the crossing routes and leverage one of the crossing routes with the robber. So as we roll the play, you're going to see that when the safety comes down to cut off the crosser, he's going to cut off Hunter Henry. So he goes with Henry right here in the middle of the field. So the read here is to Jacoby Myers. Jacoby's wide open, right? He's got to step on the man. He has nobody helping him. He put this ball out in front that's a first down. So the other thing that's the issue post-snap is that Mac doesn't hold on the initial read long enough. This is a clean pocket. There's no reason for him to rush this throw into the flat. This is a lazy rushed throw into the flat to Brandon Bolden. There's no other way to put it. So if he holds on to this read in the middle of the field and he recognizes the exchange there with the robber, then he's going to hit Jacoby coming over the middle of the field for the first down. No, no problem with that throw right there. So if you look at it from the end zone angle, you can see the separation uh, that Myers has in the middle of the field and, and how the wide open this throw really is. Uh, NFL open, I should say, not wide open, right? How NFL open Jacoby is. Look, here he is. All you got to do is throw it out in front of him. There's nobody here to help, and he just ends up kind of lazily dumping it into the flat. So you have the pre-snap stuff that really bothers me. You have the post-snap stuff that really bothers me. And and that play in particular really stood out as one that they just can't have at this point in the season. It, we're just well beyond giving him the rookie excuse at that point for that particular play. Yeah, no, it wasn't a good read. I, I will say, though, overall on Mac, um, I think there there are, you know, it's a negative game, but overall what you learn about the kid you see, you saw what a short memory had. And I think the question had been coming up a lot. Can Mac lead a team back from behind? Yeah. they The comeback didn't come up short because Mac didn't do enough. Mac did everything realistically he needed to do. Right. It was really up until Jonathan Taylor, like they were fine up until Jonathan Taylor just decided to be Jonathan Taylor and be yeah. the best healthy running back in the league. So I think you're, I like how you put that in there healthy. Well, I mean, cause they have to, <laughs> I think that, you know, I, 
yeah, you come away from that game, I think, frustrated with what Mac did. But I think you can also come away encouraged that, all right, he checked another box here as a rookie. He checked yeah. another box and that he threw the ball when everybody knew he was going to throw. And he threw it well in that second half. Sure did. So it's that kind of thing where it goes back to something I said in training camp, where this year is like one long preseason in some ways. Um, a net growth for Mac in that game. I think he didn't play well, but it's a net positive projecting his career forward. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a positive in a lot of ways too. That that one play, I just want them to throw out and, and hopefully yeah. not have those types of mistakes anymore. But in general, I, in terms of putting it on the panic meter, I'm also at a pretty much a zero, I, I would say, with, with this one. Maybe for this particular season, the fact that he's still making a mistake uh, like that second interception, maybe it's a one, but we're very, very close to, to zero in terms of the long-term uh, outlook here. Uh, he, he showed moxie. Uh, he showed mental toughness to bounce back and, and, and continue to play hard in the second half. I think I had him with seven plus plays in the second half in my review. A couple of them were early on, on that first drive. He made a couple good third down throws, but most of the plays that he made down the field were late. I thought the, like I said earlier, the bomb to kill Harry was a great decision to just give his guy a chance down the field yeah. with the one-on-one -on -one and, and throw the ball deep. I thought that was a really aggressive type of throw uh, by Mac Jones that you love to see. And they, he did bring him back. And I think a lot of games that we've seen from the GOAT that we've seen from Tom Brady were bad for three and a half quarters, three quarters or something like that. But Brady always put together the three or four drives at the end of the game to bring him back and win the football game. The Patriots didn't quite get over that hump, uh, but he had this game felt like at one point in time, like it was like one of those Brady games where the Patriots offense played like uh, dog crap for two and a half quarters, but then figured it out. Right. And, and started to right. put up points and come back at the end of the end of the game. And it, it did feel like that uh, sitting there in the stadium got real tense. It got real quiet and, and you could feel that sort of, um, you know, feeling of they're going to pull this thing off. Right. They're actually right. going to do this. And they were very, very close to doing it. And it wasn't his fault that the defense, the dam broke on the defense. So it wasn't like the Dallas game where uh, Dallas possessed the ball for 90 plays and, and they were tired and gassed. You know, this was it was just one breakdown that led to the big run. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree with that. And I, I do think ultimately up to that point, the defense played exceptionally well. I, I And even on that play, like I know people want to circle Dante Hightower and spotlight him. Yeah. That's the Colts bread and butter play. Yeah. They went to the best play in their playbook. And what that play is, is basically we are going to get Jonathan Taylor on a downhill linebacker and force that downhill linebacker to move laterally. Yeah. They're basically saying, let's take the guy that wants to go north and south and make him move east and west. And then on top of that, and Devin McCourty said it after the game, the Patriots were totally selling out for the run. They did not, it was basically, they were either going to score a touchdown or lose yards. They had nobody back. And that's why Devin McCourty ends up in the hole there. He's normally playing back to stop that, to right. prevent a 10, 15 yard run from becoming that. They had taken that, they had taken that protection out at that point. So, right. whereas right. people want to blame Hightower McCourty in the hole, like, do you want Dante Hightower to make that tackle? Of course. But the people are saying that's a sign that Hightower needs to retire or he's cooked or any of that. You put just about any linebacker in the league in that spot against Jonathan Taylor, best odds 50-50 they make that tackle. That was just, I mean, and it's how the Patriots won against the Bills. That was just, you take, when you have a really good running team, you take the run play, you run best, and you just make them stop it. 
And that's basically what the Colts did. They said, we run this play better than anything else. Jonathan Taylor moving east to west against the downhill linebacker is a mismatch in our favor. Let's create it. Nobody got an initial push for the Patriots. It allowed the Colts to create the situation they wanted. Dante Hightower's in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, again, should he make the—you want him to make the play? I'm sure if you ask him, he'd say he should make the play. I have trouble— you know, pointing at that as an example of Dante Hightower can't play anymore. I think people need to calm down at that one a little bit. And besides that play, I thought the defense played outstanding. 10 true points for 58 minutes. If they play like that, Patriots are going to win eight or nine times out of 10. I still think this is the best defense in football. I've been saying that since the Cowboys game. When they allowed 38 points, I came away from that game and I felt like this was the best defense in football. I still believe that even after they played the other night. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline has you covered all season, more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. So on, on the last play, by, or on the Taylor run, I shouldn't call it the last play, but on the yeah. big Taylor run, uh, two things. First of all, you mentioned their bread and butter play, mid-zone, right? It's straight mid-zone. Yeah. And on that particular play, all they're trying to do is set up the cutback. Right? That's all right. they want to do is set up the cutback. And you have on the play, when when you watch it back, I, I don't know who, who to point fingers at anymore when it comes to defensive play calling. So whatever, just the coaching staff in general. Uh, they ran a twist with the linebackers, right? Kyle Van Noy yeah. twists inside and they exchange gaps with Dante Hightower. What they're trying to get is Van Noy penetrate, to penetrate the line and get in the backfield to create a negative play. So that's where the sellout against the run comes from, right? Yet you're four minute everybody's down. You're trying to twist inside with the linebackers to try to shoot a gap and get in the backfield and make a play. And what ended up happening was because of that exchange, because of that gap exchange that goes on between Van Noy and Hightower, Hightower's whole momentum is moving in that, uh, in that one direction uh, to his right or to the running backs left. Right. So everybody's moving that way. And then Taylor cuts across uh, back across the grain, and that's really tough. Now, the one thing when you talk about, well, what could Hightower have done differently other than obviously make the tackle? Because Devin McCourty's coming down from the middle of the field, that he has outside, he has leverage, right? He has the ability to kind of force Taylor to go between him and McCourty instead of forcing him to, instead of allowing him to cut it all the way across his face and cut it back, what he really needs to do is maintain that leverage, not overrun the gap and force him into the help, right? Force him into Devin McCourty. So the two of them can make the tackle together instead of having him out in space like that against a really good running back. But I agree with you about the high tower overreactions. I'm sick and tired of hearing about it as well, but uh, let's keep it on offense. Let me just, let me just add here real quick. Somebody said, uh, Bills defense number one, Panthers defense number two. Bills put up 31 points against the Panthers. Just for the record, because we don't want any disinformation in the chat. Patriots are still the number one defense, 16.2 points per game. Bills are in third at 17.4 points per game. And just for fun here, Carolina 16th, 22.4 points per game. So 
Let's get those numbers right. There we go. All right. So uh, back to the offense, though. We got to talk about uh, your favorite, one of your favorite topics. Uh, well, no, this is your second favorite topic. We're going to talk about your first favorite topic after this. Well, I think it's actually my least favorite topic. I just sure. am very passionate about You're it. You're very passionate anyway. about it. That's a fair way to put it. Josh McDaniels. And where the issues lie with Josh McDaniels are pretty crystal clear, right? It's situational play calling. They keep calling the third down toss. It's driving us all up a wall. Mac Jones, after the game on Saturday night, said that they got the look that they wanted on the toss play, right? But they did. They just missed the block. And Jacoby Myers, it looked like he did miss the crack block. And that was probably the biggest reason why the play didn't work. But the play hasn't worked in ages. Uh, the Colts' defense is whole thing is sideline to sideline speed, right? They, they, they're one of the fastest defenses in football. Why are they not running it down people's throats instead of trying to go sideline to sideline? That's a, a really problematic thing as well. But I, I look at Josh McDaniels and I see a lot of really good things still. I mentioned the, the sequencing of the levels concept that they put together to hit the big play at the end of the game to Nikhil Harry. Uh, I think a lot of his game plan in this game was actually better than I thought watching it live just in terms of uh, the the plays he called to beat what the Colts defense was doing coverage wise right the coverage beaters uh, that he was calling I thought were were really successful for most of the game but he still has some of these head scratchers and I'm still clamoring for some sort of creativity in the red zone right the red zone is still Hunter Henry or bust there's nothing else going on down there in the passing game once they get inside the 20. And I made this this joke after the game, but Frank Reich now has two trick plays against the Patriots in, in his play calling days, right? The Philly special and what did he call it? The Patriots special. The Indy uh, special. The Indy special or whatever it was to Naeem Hines. Where's the McDaniels special, right? Where Where's the where's the McDaniels trickery? Where's the McDaniels creativity? Cause it's certainly not, that they don't have players that could be used in that vein, right? They do have some ball carriers, Johnny Smith, even Nikhil Harry, I think, or Kendrick Bourne, who's been really good on reverses and sweeps and stuff like that this year. I think that those things need to come as well. So red zone creativity, obviously fire the third down toss into the sun, and that's really my two biggest gripes with Josh McDaniels. Other than that, I don't really think it was a whole, a terrible Josh McDaniels game other outside of those two things. So I think, and by the way, shout out to the guy in the chat telling me nobody cares about points and then in the same breath telling me I need to learn football. Scoreboard, baby, scoreboard. Um, I think that, you know, my biggest issue with McDaniels, and maybe this kind of leads into the next topic, which is the field goal decision, right? Yeah. That was my biggest issue, not the decision to kick the field goal. I actually thought Bill's explanation for that passes. Like, I, I think that's legitimate. Yeah. I think he defended that well, and he ultimately would have ended up being right, right? If they stop yeah. Jonathan Taylor, all of a sudden you only probably need 30 or 40 yards instead of 70 to at least force overtime. You're in a good spot. So, um, yeah, again, I actually, the, the field goal decision is as annoying as it was. The bigger issue to me is what they did on third down. Because it's third and seven, you go in, you should go in assuming that's fourth down territory. I don't think they went in, and if they did, this is a failure on the coaching staff. I can't imagine they went in and said, we're going to take an end zone shot on third, and then we're going to kick the field goal on fourth. I think it should have been, we have two plays to score. And if that's the case, what you want to do 
it like you don't try to they tried to gain seven yards twice essentially is right. what they did they run everybody to the end zone the protection breaks down mac has nowhere to go with the ball he throws it away and all of a sudden you have fourth and seven for a team that like you said hasn't been great in the intermediate to high red zone yeah to me what that play calling sequence should have been is try to gain three or four yards on third down and then leave yourself with three or four yards on fourth down if i think even just a couple yards there make a huge difference. NFL teams this year, I have the number right here. Let me just pull it up. Uh, fourth and fourth and goal from seven or more yards out this year. 004. Since 2019, they're three of 16 on fourth and goal from seven yards out. That number goes up closer. Actually, believe it or not, closer to 50%. Not quite at 50%, but closer to 50% once you get even down to the five-yard line. So just yeah. two-yard difference. Um, that was the biggest mistake to me was that they ran everybody to the end zone on third down. They treated that like fourth down instead of setting themselves up for a more manageable fourth down. And look, maybe they couldn't have run it. The running game wasn't working all night. You know, I made this point the other day and somebody said, well, yeah, just run the ball up the middle, pick up three or four yards. I don't know if they could have done that. The one that I really think they left on the table, they have loved that screen pass to Brandon Bolden in the red zone. Well, they did call it, was it later or earlier? Because, I think it was it, I think it was the next drive. The, but the biggest head scratcher about the, the whole thing, and I, I we were texting uh, before we started recording, they had the same exact situation on the touchdown drive. I think it was the next drive, right? I, I believe in the fourth quarter uh, that on Hunter, Hunter Henry's second touchdown was third and third and goal from the seven. It was the exact but, same situation. In the play the before that, they hit Brandon Bolden for the screen. They did exactly what you're talking about in reverse, right? They they kicked right. the field goal first, and then they got into that exact same situation and ran the screen, and then they ran the third and seven play for the touchdown. But the problem is, is that, like I said at the beginning when we started talking about Josh McDaniels, their red zone stuff, their red zone package is predictable. Everybody knows where the ball is trying to be funneled to. It's trying to be go to Hunter Henry. Some every once in a while, Brandon Bolden will get a touchdown there, right on a screen or some sort of uh, play design out of the backfield. But for the most part, it's pretty rudimentary down there right now. Uh, there's just not a whole lot of things cooking in the kitchen. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. Into dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering for insomnia and anxiety or reco for hanging with friends. Insa has a world-class head chef too and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the INSA founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, INSA, in Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, INSA.com or 877-500-INSA. Right. Well, but but I'll say this. I don't think the Colts were ready for the screen. The Colts yeah. were ready for exactly what the Patriots did because they dropped, they rushed four, they dropped everybody into the end zone. A right. screen there gets you, I don't know that it scores a touchdown, but I think it yeah. gets you at least down to the three, which is really what they needed. If there was ever a time to run that screen, I thought that was the perfect spot for it. Yeah. And 
even, you know, you want to compare it to, okay, well, they can't score on fourth and seven, but they scored on third and se- third and goal from the seven on the next drive. Right. They, I don't remember. I think it was Meyer. Somebody's running just a simple drag route across the formation underneath to pick up those three or four yards if they need them. You yeah. know, where you're not trying to score on that play. You're trying to set up a more, you know, a, a more reasonable fourth down. I don't know where that was on the drive before, but to me, the field goal, I get people are going to get mad about it. It was frustrating. I think Bill's explanation ultimately passes the test. Right. It was the, the if you want to know where the real mistake was, it was that third down. They should have never had to decide between fourth and goal from the seven or a field goal. They put themselves in that position with a bad play call, bad decision on third down, and it gets into, and I don't know if we're going to do the math yet, but it gets into the point that whether you decide to go for it or not, that decision is only as good as the play you call to go for it, right? You know, you can you can make the right call based on the math. And by the way, that wasn't the math that said to go. Just because the math lines up with common sense doesn't mean the math is always Well, right. also, the but, math is in, in conflict because some math says to go for it. Some math said it was closer to a 50-50 toss-up, right? So all the people, the all the people who ride and die with the math, I've seen, they're angry about that. So I'm going to say that yeah. the – the math, the worst math nerds use said to go for it. But, you know, it can be fourth fourth and goal from the one. And, you you know, it's the right decision to go for it. If you come out and you call four verts. Yeah. Oh, what does it matter? You made the right decision. Congratulations. It's not the only decision you make. You also have to call a play. Bill said they didn't have a play they liked. Don't just go for it to appease the math gods, right? And shoot yourself in the foot. But, oh, the, the overlords of mathematics will now sp- smile upon us with favor. They didn't have the play. They didn't yeah. have the play, and that's their fault because on if they knew they didn't have the play on third down, they should have set themselves up for a situation where they felt like they had a play to get it on fourth. Yeah, because they, they don't have the play because the only guy down there that, that they can get they can trust and can get open is Hunter Henry, right? I right. mean, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, Kendrick Bourne made that one catch against uh, Tennessee in the, in the low red zone, right? Right, the goal, uh, the corner fade ball uh, that Mac threw to him early in that game against the Titans. But other than that, they're really – isn't much else to do there uh, down there besides get the ball to Hunter Henry. The last thing I, I want to say about McDaniels and the frustrations with him a little bit out of this game was obviously the fourth and one play, uh, the sprint right pick play that everybody in the world has seen a, a, a dozen times. Now from the Patriots, the Colts were 110% ready for it, right? They knew exactly what was coming. And when you look at that play called too, you start to think about, the same thing with the red zone stuff. And this speaks to, to me, if you can scheme it up on first and second down, that's great. The Patriots are a good third down team as well. So I'll give them third down as well, but red zone and and fourth down got to have it type of situations. Those are where the great designers and call and play callers separate themselves from the not so great ones. And you look at red zone offense and, and who's at the top of the league, and red zone production. It's not just the teams that have the best playmakers down there. Uh, it's San Francisco is actually number one in the league in red zone scoring this season because Kyle Shannon is pretty darn good at designing plays down there. So fourth and one, they, they sprint Mac out to the right. They run the pick play. It's nowhere to be found. It gets completely shut down by Indianapolis because they knew exactly what was coming. You got to have something else in your bag. Right, you got to have something else in your bag for that situation because you know the Colts watched that play on tape all week long and said, We can't get beat by this if we get into a third and fourth and one, and they run this play. 
This is right. the one passing play we know that they're going to run. So I, I thought in general, McDaniels called a really good game. I think in general, he calls really good games all the time. But these head scratchers, these one or two plays, the, the third down play you're talking about, the fourth down play on fourth and one, uh, these are the things that in these closer games against these good teams can often really separate the offense, right? This is really something uh, that you have to – look at and say this needs to get better right I, I yeah i would so, just also argue you said that overall you thought it was a good game for josh mcdaniels minus a couple of mistakes yeah i would argue those mistakes came in huge moments and we yeah. know how this team yeah. weights things situationally i don't think you can say this was a good game for josh mcdaniels yeah if you want to you know go play for play just counting each one as call it one point yeah the positives probably out outweigh the negatives right but you got to wait the plays that came in the big moments right. and it, it seemed like every big moment that happened at that game the wrong play was called so i'm yeah. not willing to say that hey josh that you know i won't give josh mcdaniels the credit in that game i gave mac it works differently mac made the plays late in the game he sucked at the beginning of the game i'm not going to put that away it wasn't his best game but he made the plays when it mattered yeah. Josh McDaniels, congratulations. Second and four early in the game. You called the right play. Awesome. Where was he on the third and goal from the seven? Where was he on the fourth and one, like you said? Right. It's the situa- It's the situational play calling that killed them. Yeah, agreed. And and that it's kind of like Max game, honestly. They kind of mirror each other in the respect that, like you said, if you put up on a scoreboard how many good plays did Josh McDaniels call versus how many bad plays did Josh McDaniels call, it, he probably called more good than bad. But at the same time, those bad ones really, really hurt them in big yeah. spots. And that's something that you have to uh, really hold on to from this game. Talked about the field goal a little bit there as well. I actually bought Bill Belichick's explanation too. I thought it was a good explanation. There's nine minutes to go in the game. Right. That's an eternity. That is a very, very long and time. They had three time. They had all three timeouts. Too. Right. So you, you know, they did get two more possessions, right? You yeah. know, you're going to get two yeah. more possessions in the game at that point in time. Maybe even three if you can force a turnover or, or something goes your way in, in, with a quick three and out or, or whatever the case may be. So I had no problem with the field goal either. I really, I understand you made a two score game, a two score game, and and that drives the nerds nuts, right? When when you're not really. Uh, putting yourself in a better position to win. The other thing that I thought that he said that really, really holds is that he mentioned how they were in a dome. And if Nick Folk had to attempt a 56, 57 yard field goal to send the game into overtime, they felt really good about Folk making a, a kick in those conditions. So when you put on all of it, and you say, okay, well, now we only need a touchdown and a field goal to send the game into overtime instead of a, two touchdowns to send the game into OT. Uh, you definitely have yourself in a little bit of a better spot being down 10 versus being down, down uh, uh, 14 or 13 or whatever it was. Right. You know, it, 14. Yeah, it, it wasn't a terrible decision, especially given how much time was left. All right, a couple more well, things. And I would just say this is, this is the problem with the math. The math yeah. doesn't take those things into account right? because I get that you want to say, Oh, all the factors are included. It's just impossible. It's impossible. You can't include every football game is so unique. It's human beings. I know people like to say, Oh, well, blackjack is like, you know, you have the deck of cards, Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not because the deck, the, the deck of cards compared to the players and every player is different. Like, I just the deck of cards doesn't change. There's 52 right. of them. Just, there, there, there's exactly how many diamonds, how many hearts, how many, right? You know, it's it, it, it was and people want to put that. I see the math people using that 
as kind of a reclamation after what was a rough weekend for them. Yeah. I mean, a rough weekend. Rough, rough, and, rough week. And at this point, especially coming off that Staley game, but just in it. general. You're going to say it? I want you to say it. We cannot blindly trust the math anymore. I will say that. I will say that as much as I enjoy, I'm not the biggest, I, I'm not the biggest win probability model guy anyways, as much as I enjoy uh, the analytics, right? The, the formation stats and the EPA and uh, coverage metrics and all these cool things that we can do nowadays where I can go into a database and I can say, how does the Buffalo Bills uh, defense play out of cover one? Are they a good cover one team? Are they not a good cover one team? I think that stuff is really valuable. Although matchups and schedule and all that kind of thing plays into it. I think that stuff can be really valuable from that, a that's all standpoint, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how often is a team in nickel? How often on third down uh, do they, what do they play? What's their go-to right. coverage? You know, those that's things tangible. are helpful. Yeah. But I would say right. that's, that's tangible, right? Yeah. How did, what is this, how does this team do man versus zone? Those are all tangible things. I am fine with that. It's when you start using one, the abstract, when you go into the abstract with the math, you know, EPA, that's not measured by anything. Even some of the stuff, like if you want to get into like air yards per attempt, average dot, you know, average depth per target. Yeah. That's a tangible, there, there's a direct tie between that in something that exists in football. When you want to start getting into EPA, when you want to start getting into war in baseball, when you want to start getting into DVOA, these are not tangible concepts. These are created based off of, you know, it's not, again, to go to baseball. EPA is average. Don't don't shit on EPA. Don't, don't. What is, what is EPA? What is EPA in a football sense? Yes. Tell me what EPA is. So basically EPA is success rate. It's a fancy success rate metric, right? So it's down in distance, how often a team is succeeding based off the down and distance, right? So if it's first and 10, you want to be gaining uh, five yards on first and 10. You want to be gaining a uh, first down on third down, right? It's, it's trying to put a, a measure t- taking in situation as a factor. So it's not just the problem is, is that, when you look at stuff like raw yards, but see, right? so, Just, so here's, but so here's the thing. So that's where it becomes, that's where it stops being tangible because whoever is calculating that stat, whoever's creating that stat might not weigh the situation the same way as the team making the decision. And sure. whether that means it's the different. Teams, sure. Right. So that that's, and that's my point. That's where I draw the line. That's where I draw the line is once you start making assumptions, once you start taking things off of the tangible events that happen on the field, that's where the, I start to draw the, the line. Problem with is, math. Is, I think the biggest thing is, is we're trying to provide statistics that are a more accurate reflection of what's actually going on on the field. Right. I don't need that, so, but I can see what's happening. On well, the field. Yeah, but you can, but a lot of people can't. Right. Is, a lot, a lot of people, it, it comes back to uh, like in white man can't jump when he says you listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear Jimmy. Right. A lot right. of people can watch the game, but they don't see the game. And but, so when you put stats up there uh, on a broadcast, right. And you right. say, oh, this team ranks 30th in total yards allowed. Right. Who gives a shit what they rank in total yards allowed if they're playing a lot of games from ahead, uh, they're winning every single game 20 to nothing, and teams are getting garbage time stats. If it's third and 20 and they give up 15 yards, is that really that big of a difference, right? Is I, and that- look, 
I don't think total yards is the best stat, but I would say, why do we have to come up with some imaginary number? Because what I'm telling you is that teaching people how to use their eyes to watch the game. I'm complicated. What I'm telling you is that third and 20, third and 20, and you gain 15 yards. That then goes and inflates like yards per uh, attempt. It inflates total yards. It inflates uh, third down yards allowed, right? All that kind of stuff. But what EPA, that's a negative EPA play, right? Because he didn't give up the first down. So that's a ne- that goes down as a negative EPA play. So you just play. proved EPA doesn't work. Why did I prove it didn't work? Because you said if you give up 15 yards on third and 20, the EPA goes down. It's a, No, I mean, like, that's a negative play for the offense, right? Oh, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a negative play for the just, offense. So that was half my point. I don't like when we get into the imaginary stats. I th- if you, Again, okay. if you want to do that's- some of the more complex – yeah. tangible stats, average yards per attempt, a dot, those sorts of things. Again, splits man versus zone. I'll buy right. into that. I like that. Um, and then where, so I, I draw the line in pencil at the imaginary stats where I really draw the line in this. Don't, this, don't this, take shots at EPA. It's, it's, it's a much better mat- metric than all the other traditional okay. old 1920 box score metrics that we use. Where, where I really draw the line is when we start using it blindly to make decisions. When, when we start using those stats, this team does this, yeah. this percent of the time, because sure. again, it goes back to what I talked about. There's so many new factors involved that you've never seen before on every play. And on top of that, you still need to execute. I think some of these people get so caught up in, yeah. well, the probability says this. So you need to do this because it's right. theoretical, right? And that's why this is what happened in the Chargers game where they, they didn't get four, was it four in a row? They didn't convert on fourth down and they got the next one And the math. People consider that a success because, Hey, the odds are you're going to convert that about 20% of the time. So if you keep going for it, you'll convert it. That's theoretical that like, I took enough math in high school to understand that. That's theoretical. That doesn't apply in practice, but people like to use that as, well, the numbers say this, so this will happen. It's like, Basically, it's like you're playing the lottery and you keep buying scratch tickets because every one you buy, you're more likely to win on the next one. Right. I guess that might work. That role is how many thousands of scratch tickets long. You're going to end up losing money in the end, even if you eventually win on the last scratch ticket. It probability, the probability is theoretical. It doesn't work in practice. Okay. So last thing I'll say on this, I think the biggest reason why you ha- I have trouble with like what the Chargers did on Thursday night against Kansas City is that a field goal and points and sequences of plays, you can't just say because this happened now, it's this is how it's going to play out in the end, right? So I think a lot of people, and I'm not saying most of the advanced uh, math gurus on Twitter and stuff like that are beyond this right they, they understand but a lot of people are saying oh well the chargers left nine points on the field so if they if you add those nine points to their total they win the game it doesn't work like that right because if one thing happens in a game it changes sure. the the deck for the rest of the game right if they kick a field goal then everything else after that sequence changes uh, from that point on so it you can't just sit here and say Oh, we'll just add nine points to the final score, and that's how many points the Chargers would have scored. It, it that that's not that's not good either. So, uh, I I think that the field field goals are getting slept on. Field goals yeah. are getting slept on. 
two-point conversions are out of control, like Baltimore, I, I don't care. I, I really don't care that, all oh, they're playing backup corners and it's Aaron Rodgers and all these excuses like as to why they just put the game on the line just then and there. They've lost two games this year doing that against Pittsburgh and then obviously against Green Bay. And at some point in time, you have to, like you said, Alex, you have to know whether or not you have the execution and the play to pull right. it off. And the first time when they had Lamar out there, they actually had the play, right? They had, it, it was open. Mark yeah. Andrews was open in the flat. The execution wasn't there. Right. So that that's the biggest thing is that you have to, if you don't have the play and you don't have the, if you have every offensive coordinator always claims this going to the game that I have the perfect play against their defense. If this situation comes up, I know exactly what I'm going to call because we've game planned it. We've studied it all week long. And this is our play, right? This is our two point play against this defense. If that, if you feel so strongly about it, that you feel like you're going to get it, then go for it. But if not, then I really do think that take the points and take your chances in overtime. You never know what might happen. Right. You just, just, saying oh it's Aaron Rodgers you're definitely gonna lose I mean that's just a loser's mentality in my mind and that that that's pretty much what I'm saying don't do it just because the spreadsheet says to again it goes back to my point don't just just bow down to the math gods don't just do that you can use the math to advise your decision but use common sense should come first and foremost football knowledge should come first and foremost and it goes back to something you said before if your entire opinion on the game of football solely based on the math i'm sorry you don't know football yeah you can use the math to inform opinions but you'd better be able to use your well that's that was my whole better be aware situationally yeah that was my whole thing with the patriots kicking the field goal right as all the nerds on twitter are saying how do you kick a field goal there and i'm like have you seen the patriots red zone offense this year exactly have you seen the patriots red zone offense this year it's Hunter Henry and it's nobody else. They can't do anything else besides throw the ball to Hunter Henry in the end zone when they get into the high, uh, into the low red zone or high red zone. So if you watch them all year long, like you and I have, and like all the people in the chat have and stuff like that, you would recognize that fourth and seven for the Patriots from a fourth and goal from the seven is what probably, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a, a, a fancy algorithm to put a percentage on it is what maybe a 10% play for the, the math, the math itself said right. 9%. Yeah. So it, it's just such a low, low percentage. All right. I, I want to move off this though. I want to hit on two more things before we sign okay. off here real quickly. But Punt wait, block. I want to hear it one more time. How are you feeling about the math right now? Skeptical Punt blocks. Yes. Three of them already this year. I'm incorrectly. And I want to apologize to Jelani Tavai. It was Jakob Johnson that missed the block on the punt block on Saturday night, Matt Chatham did a great breakdown of what exactly happened that the guy right to the long snappers left and right. They kind of help the long snapper get on his block before they go and block their own guys, just because Joe Cardona has got to snap the ball with his head down. Right. So they kind of give a little forearm shiver uh, to the guy over the long snapper to make sure that Joe Cardona can get on his block. And then they get out to their block. Jakob Johnson held a little bit too long on his help assignment and didn't right. get to his real assignment. But this has happened three times now. 
We talk to Cam McCord every single week. I think Cam McCord's a great coach. I think he's got energy. I think he's a smart guy. I think that he has a great attention to detail. But at the same time, I'm not saying he should be fired or anything like that, but he should be held accountable uh, for the fact that they've had three punts blocked this year. And this one finally truly burned them and that it goes for a touchdown. And it was a huge part of the game and a, a really a, a game changing type of play. Yeah. And they've had a couple punts blocked from that spot. And it, it was Giovanni Talai earlier in the year. Yeah. I wonder. So that's supposed to be Harvey Longy's spot. Right, so maybe He's, Harvey Longy comes back and fixes everything. Maybe I like yeah. that's Jakob Johnson's a backup, and Bill talks about this all the time about the depth on right. special teams. Like that's not to excuse it; it shouldn't happen, but it just kind of shows you this is why they spend the money on special teams that other teams don't spend. Yeah. And I'm somebody who supports them doing that. I know a lot of people aren't, but you. The reason I support it is they generally win games because special teams is a plus for them, whereas it's not for most teams. Uh, if it's going to be a negative, you can't justify spending the money. So that's something where, you know, it's just a great example of this is why they pay those guys. And I thought that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, I, I've been forceful on my point that no football game has ever been decided by just one play. I truly believe that, but that play was as impactful as any is in the game, because like I talked about on the preview show on Friday, the whole game was going to come down to turnovers and yeah. a block punts, a turnover, especially when it gets returned for a touchdown, um, that was that was the error they could not afford. They made other mistakes in that game. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the one they weren't coming back from. That is something. And again, all three punt blocks have kind of come from the same spot this year. So that's something they need to address. Yeah, agreed. And and something that just can't, regardless of how much money you spend on special teams, that can't happen. You can't have right. things breaking down like that and costing you games. Uh, Mac Jones said it earlier in the season. There's oftentimes you can sum up a loss in three plays. Right. Uh, usually there are three plays that three plays to an L and the pump block in this three plays to an L addition would be w one of the three. Right. Uh, that was one of the three biggest plays in the game that flipped the game in Indy's favor. Uh, penalties, eight of them. Uh, a lot of really boneheaded ones to pre-snap penalties or offside penalties. Uh, Brandon King, another one of those special teams guys that gets paid to be here for just to play in the kicking game. He jumps off sides, uh, offside gives the Indianapolis kicker, another chance. He kicks it through. There's three points cost you there. Isaiah Wynn uh, jumps off. He goes false start. Uh, I mean, there was Mike on when false started right on third and two from the goal line. That was a critical, critical play uh, that needs to, to be mentioned as well. So way too many penalties. We knew it was a flag happy crew, but they made it way too easy on them to be flag happy. You know, you jump off sides, you jump off sides. Yeah, I don't know that any of the paid penalties called on the Patriots weren't deserved, right? Um, the Jacoby Myers hold on the Johnny, he he took him down, and most of the time uh, when you take a guy down like that, they, they throw a flag, right? right? Because you're not allowed to tackle guys in the open field as a blocker. So that would be the closest one. And look, they might have missed some yeah. the other way. I mean, Andrew Sandejo was headhunting all night, clearly. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, it was just a sloppy, sloppy game and it was avoidable stuff. And that's part of the reason I'm not worried about this game because they made those kind of mistakes earlier in the year and then they fixed them and they basically disappeared for seven weeks. So yeah. I, you know, I think ultimately, I think what this was, I think the bye week hurt them. Yeah. I think they had so much momentum. From a technique they were in such standpoint, meant, yeah. I yeah. They, they were just right. rolling. And I think they maybe got a little lazy coming off the bye and they fell back into some bad habits they had early in the year. But again, yeah. they've already fixed. Look, if they fix them for another seven week stretch, that gets them to, that would get them to the Super Bowl. Right. I, like, I'll, I'll, I'll talk hypothetically here. 
Right. Like, False starts, jumping offside. Those are mental lapses, right? Delay of games. The, those right. are that, that's between the ears. That that's focus. That's detail oriented right. stuff. Uh, that, that's stuff that usually doesn't happen to Bill Belichick's team. So I, I'm sure that that stuff will get ironed out. Yeah. Again, like if they, they fixed it before I trust them to fix it again, especially that there's no excuse. There's like that. It, there really wasn't much of an excuse to come out flat against the Colts. I'm not saying yeah. like, Oh, that was a game, but I think I even said it last week. Like that game felt a little trap gamey coming yeah. off the bye Saturday night game. You know, the bills on deck. I know it's a good opponent, but it felt a little like a trap game. Yeah. This next game is the biggest game in the post Brady era. Yeah. Or none. Like this is the game. If they don't well, get up for this. If they lose this game to Buffalo, it's a slippery slope, right? Yeah. You basically can't win the division at that point. Uh, the bill, the bills would win the division if they won out or right? Buffalo right. would win because uh, they have the division record in hand and it would be one, one in the head to head. And then you start talking about, there's a lot of teams and we can kind of wrap on this. I did want to talk about Isaiah Wynn, but I think that's a longer discussion that we can have another day about yeah. his future at that spot. But just wrapping this up, on if you look at the AFC, and I can pull it up real quickly here as we talk, there's a lot of teams with six losses right now, or seven losses, right? There's, right. I think, a dozen teams that are, are right there. So you start to drop off some of these games here. Uh, there's... Uh, 12 teams with seven or fewer losses, right? And then there's 10 teams with six or fewer losses. So you start to drop a game or two here uh, against the Colts and against Buffalo, and you get to six losses. Then you start talking about battling for a wild card spot at the end of the year. And you got that Miami game in week 18. That could become a de facto playoff game, right? Yeah. In, in Miami, the way the Dolphins are playing. So it's just... This one is could not be a bigger game. You're at home. It's a good matchup for you. You proved that a couple of weeks ago that you are, have a, it's a strength that you have that is a weakness of theirs. So you do match up well against them and you have to take care of business in this game and you have to end the division now. Uh, because if you give it a couple more weeks, then you might not win the division and you might find yourself in a week 18 in Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami in a winner take all game against the dolphins. And that's not a place you want to be in. Right. Exactly. All right. So Alex and I will be back on the podcast on uh, are we gonna do Friday this week with the back to a Sunday game. Uh, I'm actually on Felgren Mass Friday. So it might have to oh, be look Thursday. at you. Oh my God. Yeah. So sorry. Jeez. Two to six, 98, five, the sports hub and NBC sports boss. And me. And wow. wow. You're going to be on TV on the simulcast too. Look at yeah. That. That's everybody else's problem. Wow, I this a that's a proud this is a proud moment as a friend. That's pretty there darn you cool. So you I go, thought I already told you that. I guess not. You, you told me about Toucher and Rich. You didn't. Oh tell yeah, me I'm doing Toucher and Rich Monday and Tuesday. So, but yeah, for show probably Thursday. All right, Thursday podcast, the previewing Pat's Bills. This one will be pretty easy to preview. We pretty much know everything already about the Bills from a couple of weeks ago, and the game a couple of weeks ago didn't go anywhere near the way we thought it would. So we can just talk about what we thought was going to happen. Right, right? exactly. And now, now it should happen the second time. So then uh, we'll get into that game or uh, later in the week. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays for all those Jews like Alex and I out there. And uh, we'll see you on Thursday to preview Pat's Bills, the big one. So make sure you tune in then around the same time as tonight. Thanks, guys. We'll see you then.